Why is it that some leaders at some point in their life determined that the adversity that they had was the gift that made them a better leader? Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders show brought to you by Ubiquity Coaching. I'm your host, Terry Lepofsky, and it's great to be back, particularly with our theme today, which is thriving in adversity. And we've got an awesome guest for you today. I want to introduce everybody to our guest, Dr. James Kelly. Dr. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us here on Inspiring Leaders. Terry, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm I'm honored to be here. We've got a tradition on the show. I know you know about this because you've listened to the show before. (laughs) Here's my first question to start things off. Who inspires you and why? I had to do some thinking about this. Good, okay. It's not a Winston Churchill. Yeah. Mine is actually someone you may not have heard of. His name is John Berghoff, and John Berghoff is the CEO of Flourishing Leadership Institute out of Cleveland. He is this guy that when you meet him, there's just something about him. Call it a proverbial man crush. (laughs) He has this aura about him that draws you in, and it's not, you know, some leaders have that power stance. It's not that. It's that he has this sense of wonder and curiosity that you know that his only intent is to get the best out of you through questions. And I find that healing, I find that impactful in how you interact with him. And so for me, he's probably one of the most inspiring people I've met or leaders that I've met in my 43 years. That's interesting. You've got a guy from Cleveland (laughs) as somebody that you admire. And where are you located right now? I am in the sunny world of Elaine, UAE, so just outside Dubai, about an hour and a half. Isn't that something? And you chose somebody over in Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, if there's one thing I've learned about you, it's pretty clear that you wear a lot of hats. And I think you've done that for most of your life. I wanted to just run through a bit of your background. Back in 1999, you were working for National Advertising Services, and you were booking some pretty significant numbers back then. I know I read about a million dollars of earnings before you joined BSA Advertising as their branch manager in San Jose, California. Right there, you're bouncing around the world a little bit, but you weren't done. You went and earned your MBA before you went to work in Tokyo, Japan. And then if that wasn't enough, you bounced back to the U.S. You were working for Columbia Ultimate, a software company, as the director of lead generation. Then 10 years ago, you got your Ph.D. in international marketing way over on the other side of the planet at the University of Western Australia in Perth. How am I doing so far? Great. You you have forgotten... Philadelphia at this point, because there was Philadelphia <laughs> after, after Perth, Australia. There were seven years in Philadelphia as well in there. Wow. These days, you're the host of Executive After Hours, Real Conversations with Leaders, an absolutely awesome podcast. Everybody listening right now should be looking that one up and listening as well. I love it. And I think the reason I do is that I think you and I both value hearing from people that are actually doing rather than just being armchair theorists about leadership. So bravo for that one. You're also an assistant professor of marketing. Is that right? That is correct, which is the oxymoron of all of this. Go ahead. (laughs) At uh, United Arab Emirates University in (laughs) Al-Alem and a contributor to Thrive Global. 
the Arianna Huffington organization, right? Correct. This is one I'm not going to let pass. I've got to mention this. You have a brilliant new book, Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. This is a must-read for any leader out there, and it's been endorsed by the best of the best in leadership circles. I'm looking at guys like Jeffrey Hazlitt, Bill George, Dory Clark, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. Let me just read a couple of things these guys have been saying about your book. The Crucible's Gift offers leaders insight into their deepest places that define them. Prepare for a remarkable journey of self-discovery guided by the stories of leaders who've had the courage to go on record in this book and the insights of Dr. James Kelly, whose own story made this book complete. I got to read one more. I love these. Crucible's gift will guide you on a deep exploration of how to become an authentic leader, learning and growing from your crucible experience with increased self-awareness, integrity, compassion, and the ability to relate to others. Following Kelly's great wisdom will not only enable you to become a better leader, but a better human being as well. That one was from Bill George. The one before was from Dr. Goldsmith. Bravo, my friend. How do you get such great accolades with your first book? Are they, are they still talking about me or is this the show they're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, it is my first book. Thank you. And I'm humbled beyond all belief to get those recommendations for the book. Uh, you have no idea. Completely unexpected. And I just thought I would ask and they would say no. But I just assumed if you don't ask, you don't know. I love the cover that you've got on it. It looks like packaging has been torn open to see the title, <laughs> The Crucible's Gift. And I think that that is really representative and sort of a metaphor for what's inside because mm -hmm. it really helps people to kind of break out of the zone that they happen to be in to help them to become more authentic and thriving in adversity. Mm. I think that that's brilliant. I think it's well thought out from cover to cover. Thank you very much. That cover did take three months to decide on. It was well worth the wait. So I just appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book, to be honest, Terry. You know, when you put your heart and soul into anything, whether it's coaching a client, even prospecting business, to see the fruits of your labor could be monumental if you take the time to step back and appreciate the whole process and journey that you go on. I'm going to be buying a few copies of this and handing them out to people that I care about the most. But listen, I'd like to dig into this a little bit. If you don't mind, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, the kind of things that you're up to these days. And if you don't mind, some of your perspectives about leadership in general. Thank you. My background is this really, as you kind of pointed out, a hodgepodge of experiences. To let the audience kind of know how I got to where I'm at in terms of writing a book on leadership, it's important to understand the journey of my PhD. And when I started my PhD, I actually was accepted to study leadership. It was to study leadership in the sports metaphor, in the world of sports. Like why coaches play certain athletes over other athletes based on pay and things like that. Interesting. And so what happened is that my advisor left, ironically moved to Dubai, and he said, I don't want to have any advisees. So I was left holding my hand out there for help in Perth, Australia, with no advisors and no topic at this point. And so luckily, two advisors said, hey, you know, we'll take you on, but it's marketing. And so I've always been kind of interested in marketing. So fast forward, I've coached water polo teams. I've been captains on water polo teams. Leadership has always been this undercurrent. When I started doing my podcast, it just became clear to me that 
there were certain themes in leadership that I had always believed that were reaffirmed by interviewing over 140 CEOs and executives and book authors yeah. around their personal journey. And so within that, I've kind of gone full circle and gone back into the space that I started at in my academic journey into leadership. And to be honest, I am way more passionate about that than I ever have been about marketing, though I love marketing. It's not the same as leadership because leadership has a much more significant impact on someone's being because I don't really think of leadership as necessarily being an individual who leads an organization. I think of it as the individual who leads their own life, who leads their life in a way that is what's best for them. When I use the word authentic leader in the book, I think too often we think of this concept of authentic leader as one of two things. One, person that's way over the top bubbly or the person who can justify being a jerk because they say that's who they are. Right, yeah. The reality of what I chose the phrase authentic leadership is because for me, if you're being authentic, you're trying to be the best version of you at all times. I like the term authentic. Now, it's a totally used term beyond belief at this point, as you very well know, authentic this, authentic that, blah, 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 blah. But the term in of itself is really referring to you being, the way I use it, being the best version of you. And the best version of you, in my mind, really trying to enhance those around you. But you can only do that when you love yourself, when you appreciate yourself, when you can see the value that you bring to a situation. And once you understand your own truths, and you understand that other people have their own truths, then the power of leadership really starts to take hold in the organization. I love this whole conversation about the authentic leader. What does it mean to be authentic? Now, I've heard you talk about this before, and I'd love it if you'd maybe drill down a little bit on this, because I think a lot of people have this mistaken idea that they're only authentic when they are behaving in a certain manner. But we're dynamic people. We're always changing depending on the circumstance that we're in or the people that we're with or what time of day it is. Absolutely. And I think sometimes a leader hides behind the word authenticity to defend their poor behavior. For me, as I wrote this book, it was really more about a journey of discovery to figure out why is it that some leaders at some point in their life determined that the adversity that they had was the gift that made them a better leader. Right. And that to me was that nugget of information, that moment of truth in the whole entire story of the book. Let me give you one particular story that comes out in the book. Oh, absolutely, please, yeah. The way the book is written, just to give the audience some backdrop, is that the book is predicated on 140 interviews across various levels, titles, even size of organization. One of the interviewees comes from Google, and he's the chief business officer of Google Act. Yep. So I get all the way to Fortune 2, and all the way down to entrepreneurs and everything in between. The story I'm going to sh share with you comes out of the chapter called The Crucible, really the first chapter after the introduction. And it's by a woman named Bridget Mayer. And her story is the only story that I heard in my, all these interviews that literally brought me virtually to tears. I want you to imagine that you are a nine-year-old living in a house with a mom that's a drug addict and a prostitute on the weekends. You've got five brothers and sisters. You've been in and out of the hospital because you've been beaten. You're not eating. You have to drink out of a toilet because you can't reach the sink at different parts of your life. And I want you to imagine that you get adopted. And it's not just you. It's your two sisters, one older, one younger, by the same family, in the same environment. 
Now I want you to fast forward, and here's the part that blew my mind. Bridget's oldest sister committed suicide. Bridget's younger sister was in and out of rehab and could never quite get her life together. But Bridget, Bridget goes on to open an art gallery in Philadelphia. Bridget goes on to become a millionaire in selling art, opens up a consulting firm in LA. Bridget is a thriving human being in society. How is it that Bridget's able to lead in the art community coming from the same environment as her sisters, and yet not have the same type of baggage, the same type of constraints. And the only thing I came up with, talking to Bridget and other leaders like her, is that they decided to look at the moments in their life that could be seen as pain, could be seen as trials and tribulations, and flip them on their heads and say, what is the gift in these moments that make me want to be either different, better, or what can I learn to lead more effectively? And so that's just one of the stories that I share in the book. And I take quotes from Bridget in my interview, and I plant it inside the book there for the readers to read that dialogue. And they're not long sections. They're maybe two paragraphs, three paragraphs each time I do it. And so this is kind of the book as the stories come out, and I couple that with some academic literature, and I back that up with other concepts of this idea of an authentic leadership model. It strikes me that what you're doing is you've actually looked through the really tough stuff in people's lives through the dirt in their lives Mm -hmm. and found the diamonds that emerged from it. And that's the metaphor that I find is that coming through that adversity, coming through really, really difficult circumstances have really led people, inspired them or enlightened them to do things that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. These individuals consistently framed their moments, their crucibles, in a way that benefited them in their leadership style. And let me follow up by saying, we all have adversity, everybody. There's nobody that doesn't have adversity. I don't know anybody that came from Andy Griffith's world and had this perfect life and never had any problems. Even Andy Griffith himself had problems. So the reality is we all have them. We all have moments. What happens is that we don't necessarily know in that moment how it impacts us. And we may not know two years down the road, five years down the road, But if we're open to the opportunity to frame that moment in a way that's positive, that's the transformation. That is the gift in the crucible. There are three types of crucibles I define in the book. There's one called the bizarro, one called the forced break, and one called the avalanche. So each one of those subsequently gets a little bit more intense. And so in the book, I talk about the concept of bizarro crucible from my perspective. And so here I am. 31 years old, it was 30, 31, and all my friends have had jobs for nine, 10 years. They're all making great money. They're all moving up in the corporate ladder. I'm not married. What am I doing? What do you do when you don't know what you're doing? You go off to a foreign country and you get your PhD. Why not? So, so I wake up. <laughs> Why not? And so I woke up in the morning. I was groggy. I was tired. I was in the dorm room at the university before I found housing, and I started going for a run. The backdrop to my history is that I was not the best student. I struggled. I never felt like I belonged. I never felt smart enough. I never felt that I was the academic type. And I still don't to this day. Really? I just was not my thing. I can't take tests. I was bad at the GMAT. There's just nothing about me. There was nothing about me. If you asked anybody I went to college with, I literally would have been the last person they would have said that would have gone a PhD. You can imagine the amount of self-doubt. Yeah. I wake up in the morning on the first day in Perth, Australia, 
and I'm grumpy, I'm tired, and I'm full of just unbelievable doubt about what am I doing. Okay, sounds like every morning when I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go for a run. I strap on the sneakers, I put the headphones on, I'm blaring the music, and I start running. Now, where the university is located, it's right on this river called the Swan River. As you go west, it kind of goes up a hill. And I start running, and I'm running, and I'm swearing, saying four-letter words in my head, and that I'm stupid, and that what am I doing? I don't belong here. Wow. I'm not academically worthy, blah, blah, blah. And I start, get ready to stop. I'm at the top of the crest of this hill, and I'm like, I'm turning around, I'm going home. I'm basically pouting at this point. Yeah. As I look up, I see the blue sky. I look forward to the coast. This air brushes across my face. And then I see the blue of the Indian Ocean. And then I see tops of the treetop. And I start running again towards the coast. And it was if every step I took, I left a piece of my negativity behind me to rot. And the closer that I ran to the beach, which was about two and a half miles away, the happier, the more confident, the more I believed in myself. Now, for me, the reason why that is a bizarro crucible moment is because I'm in a foreign place. I don't know why I belong. It's upside down world to me. And I had to make a choice about how I was going to react. So that is, for me, one example. Terry, I can imagine that you know leaders that are super impactful because they treat people and interact with people at where they're at in their journey, whether it's the admin or the C-suite, the leaders that have the most impact treat people with equality, kindness, compassion, integrity. And these are impactful tools to use as a leader to benefit not only the people you're in, interacting with in that moment to create what I call micro moments of meaning, but also as an organizational cultural tool as well. You know what I like about you the most? Hmm. You're relatable. <laughs> I think everybody can see themselves through your eyes. And yet you're also somebody who's achieved a great deal. That's what speaks to me the most. And I really appreciate everything that you're bringing. Listen, if you're okay with it, I've got two closing questions for you. Absolutely. So here's my first one. What challenges do you see facing a lot of the leaders out there today? I actually think the biggest challenge that I believe that leaders are facing, I know some guys said AI, one of your other shows. Yeah. I actually think it's more about understanding the complexities of a human being's life nowadays because it's so fractured. And there's so many opportunities for people and employees to be distracted. I mean, engagement's at an all-time low. It's like 31% in America. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's 15% globally on average. There is a problem. And people are distracted. They're unmotivated. And I think the leader's biggest challenge nowadays is finding purpose for the employees that they have to manage. How can you speak their language to get them excited about the job that they're doing? And I think that's a challenge because the, the less productive we are, the less production we are creating. All of the distractions, as you mentioned them, and I'm thinking, staring at those little screens that we carry around in our pockets and all of the rest of it. Uh -huh. Technology is a great enabler, but it's also really distracted us from the basic human conversations that, yeah. and, and if I'm not mistaken, I think at least that's what I'm getting from what you're saying. Yeah. It's that connection with other people. Absolutely. Okay, so here's my other question for you. And related to the first, what does inspired leadership mean to you? For me to be inspired by a leader, and I'm just going to look at it from my perspective, is that I love leaders 
who have this growth mindset, who have this curiosity to ask the curious questions of the people they support. I'm inspired by leaders that are actually more like servant leaders who are there to make your position, job, day, life easier. Those are the people that I think really inspire those around them. Now, there are people who like the power leader. There are people who like, um, that's the only one that comes to my mind, actually, is just the power leader who likes that position of power. But I don't think that's effective at the highest level. I don't think that motivates people, especially as we, in a Western context, become flatter and flatter in organization. I mean, millennials have no problem speaking up. Yeah. They have no problem having their voices heard. So you've got to be able to speak to them at where they're at in their journey, and you have to get to motivate them to find their purpose in their journey as well. I think that that's what inspires me most about leaders who have that ability to connect with people and inspire them to take their own journey to find their own truths. That's incredible. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I think that that is the kind of message that really helps everybody who tunes in. So thank you very much for your time today, Dr. James Kelly. I think it's great that you've joined us today, that you've shared some of your stories with us, (laughs) some of your uh, experiences. And I also just want to say congratulations on the launch of your book, A Crucible's Gift. It's a great book, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. I can find it through uh, Amazon, correct? Pre-order is March 25th. Book launch is April 23rd. You can always go to my website or actually just Google The Crucible's Gift. I own that link. That will take you to my website and you can find out information there as well. Excellent. I'll put all that in the show notes as well as ways to connect with you through LinkedIn, Twitter. I know that you've got an account there and you're active there. Everywhere. Just say everywhere. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Dr. James Kelly is everywhere and uh, we're looking forward to connecting with you. And by all means, tune into his podcast, Executives After Hours, Real Conversations with Leaders. Really good to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Terry, thank you so much for your time and energy and willingness to have a conversation with me. And thank you to everybody for tuning in today. It's great to have those ears on the other end of this line. You like the way this show is going. By all means, give those stars a click over on iTunes, SoundCloud tune in and all the other places that people are tuning into this. On behalf of Ubiquity Coaching at ubiquity.coach, we want to thank you. Talk to you again next week. Bye for now. 